Welcome to Centering, the podcast on Asian American Christianity, a conversation centering Christ and Asian American perspectives, featuring Daniel Lee, theology and ministry professor at Fuller Seminary. Hello, listeners. Welcome to Centering, the podcast on Asian American Christianity. I'm your host, Kevin Doy, and I hope that uh, you check out some of our previous episodes. I'm super excited that you've tuned in to this one. We're going to talk about preaching and sermon making this morning. Uh, I was thinking about this past week and my move to a new office at Fuller Seminary. And it's an office that's been vacant for quite some time, probably over a year. And as people were describing it to me, um, I was actually able to see it last week. And it's a place that people have discarded a bunch of random stuff and I've coined it as the place where furniture goes to die and unfortunately sometimes in our churches probably more often than we'd like to admit the pulpit is a place where sermons have gone to die Um, and I know that's horrible to say but it's true and I can say that because I'm a preacher and so we're gonna try to fix all that uh, today and we have the right person with us Daniel Lee who's Professor of Theology and Ministry at Fuller. So welcome, Daniel. We're going to talk about sermons and preaching, and we're going to kind of perform an autopsy on what we bring to the pulpit and the whole preaching event. And so let's just start by talking about a very fundamental question that unless you preach often and regularly, maybe you haven't thought much about. What is a sermon? Why do we even have them? What is the purpose and function of preaching? Well, let's think about what sermon is not. A sermon is not a theology lesson, nor is it a Bible study. Fundamentally, a sermon is not just teaching. It's actually a way to to give people the Word of God, right? The living Word of God, to have people encounter God. Sometimes when we have a a profound experience, we say, well, God spoke through me, right? Through me or as a pastor or, or to me through a sermon, right? This idea of God literally taking hold uh, of the words of a, of a sermon and speaking and people meeting God in a sermon. That's basically the core of what a sermon is. And I mean, it's not, it doesn't have to be a sermon. I think it can be like a Bible study or whatever. But all, and all those things, ideas affected, we're meeting God, the living God. Hmm. Not just spiritual ideas, not just eternal wisdom, not just spiritual nuggets of truth, but the fact that we are saying that God's alive, God's active, God speaks, and we can meet God in these places. So that's basically, I think, theologically speaking, what a sermon is, the living Word of God, where we actively engage and encounter God. So before you speak to us about how to make our sermons and our preaching better, can you just share, in your opinion, what you think are some of the main causes of why sermons go bad? Like what's, you know, if we were to open up a sermon and have an autopsy, like what, what makes for a poor sermon? I think sometimes there, there are simple cases where the person just does not communicate. Just poor communication, or you just realize the fact that the person is rambling for like 40 minutes, right? So there's preparation, you know, communication. Those are pretty obvious. But I think when you look more deeply, you realize a lot of times people don't understand what a sermon is. They think it's literally an academic exercise or intellectual exercise. You might have these preachers who basically quote huge chunks in theologians or something. I'm thinking... That's not what's happening here, right? It's not an intellectual exercise only. They literally think this is a Bible study just in public. There's a problem with that because sometimes the Bible study, the focus is actually the biblical text. 
I mean, it shouldn't be, but sometimes, right? And not the living God that's speaking through the text. Mm. So, misunderstanding of what a sermon is, but at its core, the most important thing here is misunderstanding what the good news is. Because now we talked about sermon when we meet God. When we meet God, what are we getting? We're meeting the beautiful, amazing, good, and gracious God. Sermons are good news. Mm. If you don't understand how the good news works, mm. the dynamics of a good news, sermons will die every single time. Mm. So it sounds like you're, there's an art, there's certainly a narrative to understanding what the gospel is and how to tell that story well and faithfully. I've, as a pastor for 25 years, I've probably preached over a thousand sermons, unfortunately, for, for a lot of people. But let's talk about when a pastor or a preacher actually sits down and conceives of what they're going to say. I, I know some people actually sit down at their computer and type. Others, uh, at least in their mind, take some notes. But in constructing a sermon, what are the elements that need to be there? In other words, when you construct a sermon, as you think about telling a story that's going to be good news, are there particular elements that you think about so that they're there? Well, let's back up a little bit. This is what I tell all the people, all the students, right? Uh, because this is very typical of beginning preachers. A very common mistake is having multiple sermons in one sermon. So it's like four sermons, but you're cramming into one. Well, the first part, second part, I'm like, look, people can't absorb all this stuff in 20 minutes or even maybe even an hour. They can't absorb all this stuff. They'll pick up random stuff. And that's really bad because they're picking up random stories and not getting what the point is. So in the very beginning, what you want to do is figure out in one sentence, what is this sermon about? Right, and make sure you don't get lost. Make sure people don't get lost. And Brian Chappell in his book Christ Under Preaching, I think, he talks about this thing. He says he calls it a three a.m. test. Right? Was it three a.m. four a.m.? I can't. <laughs> He's saying if somebody wakes you up and says, uh, "Kevin, what is the sermon about?" and you say, "Well, it's about pause understanding," I'm like, "No, you don't have a sermon. It's it's half baked. It's not it's not there yet." If you say it's about how God's good in the midst of tragedy, whatever, right? One sermon. What is the goodness of God, beauty of God in this sermon? If you don't know and you go on giving a paragraph, you don't have a sermon yet. Mm. And so that's, that's, so we start with that. Mm. Now, once you figure out what the sermon is altogether, right? And that might be at the very end or something. But if you don't have that one sentence, you don't have a sermon. And people will get whatever random stuff out of a sermon. <laughs> and that's bad because there might be one illustration that might be like, oh, that was fun. And so as a, as a communicator, you failed. Once again, 30 or 40 minutes, or maybe even 20 minutes, 15 minutes, right? And the shorter it gets, of course, the more work it is. Now, okay, getting back to the question, I would say there's four things. There's kind of a hook, the void, twist, and response. Hook, how do you connect with this community? The void, how do you present what sin is? Uh, twist is really how the gospel works. This beauty that comes out of nowhere. And then what do we do with that? So we have a, an idea what the sermon is, this kind of 3 a.m. test. And I, I've, I found that my fear every week when there's a sermon uh, looming before me is I think I don't have anything or enough to say and I will reflectively cram too much in a sermon. So your advice to 
really chip away and cut away until you have the essence and it's one idea and one thing. So you talk about uh, a hook, a void, a twist, and a response. And so some people might not know what you're referring to, um, might be unfamiliar with this kind of way of preaching. So can you just unpack those four elements for us um, to, to help us understand better what you mean by this? I mean, to some degree, like there are different kind of preaching. So I, I don't want to say that every sermon should kind of uh, look exactly the same. But I think when you listen to a lot of sermons that are good, after a while you realize there's a general arc of a sermon. And of course, sermons are situational things, they're contextual things. You're saying God is speaking to these people at this particular time, this particular situation, this is what God's saying. It's not a generic word. And God doesn't function that way. It's not like God's just dead and we have a bunch of words that got left or thrown at us and we're just giving people that. It's not some eternal word. It is the eternal God speaking to us in this particular time, to these people, in this particular situation. So that's really, really important to kind of take a, think about. And so the hook is that, why am I listening to a sermon? What are you talking about? So I think the question is, how do you connect with where people are? It might be a felt need, and that's perfectly fine, right? To be like, this is where they are. You felt this before. So you transition and connect with people where they are, right? So you have to answer the question, why should I listen to you today? Is that the question, basically, what the hook is? Yeah. yeah, like, because you might lose them. Yeah, people, they, they might literally go to sleep. As a past, you've thought about this for like maybe a week, right? Maybe like even months. You thought you've been preparing a particular sermon because you realized it was a difficult sermon. Well, maybe realistically a couple of days, okay? <laughs> but they ha they've been thinking about just their finances or they... You have no idea what they've been thinking about. They, haven't, they might not even be, be thinking about God. If you start off by saying, well, here, Apostle Paul... They, I mean, really, they want to be pious, so they want to think about Apostle Paul. They have, they have not been thinking about Paul. And you might but well, here, you know, the, in Revelations, the church in Laodicea, look, they don't care. And if they care, they might not care for the right reason. They might care just because they're Bible geeks, not necessarily because they're excited about God. What is the point? There's something about my life. Help make the connection. Mm. I think to some degree, seeker-friendly churches have done a good job. Now, there are problems with that, which we'll get to the next phase, but... This idea of connecting with where people are felt need, it is important. And you have to think about where's the connection here. You are where you are in this particular time and situation. All right. Speak to these people and say, I see you. Yeah. Right. And God sees you. Yeah. Right. God knows the fact that what you're going through actually matters. Okay. So now, you know, you have people's ears, you have their attention, you've you hooked them in because they, what they're hearing speaks to their lives. You made that connection. So then you then you go to this, what you call the void. Uh, what is that? The void is, you thought this was what the issue was, and you thought this is what the problem is. And if that's what it is, uh, if you don't have the void, you move directly to, um, so here's what you do. God says this, so try harder. I call that a godless sermon. So often. I mean, I think I've heard, I hear more godless sermons <laughs> The sermon with God. This is what I mean. They say this is what God wants you to do. And you have to work harder. Right? Now, what I'm saying is there's no God in the sermon. Mm -hmm. you're, you're, hearing what God ex you're hearing God's expectations, but you're not hearing God. God doesn't have to come in and encounter you. Right? There's no need for God. There's no need for God because you have to work harder. Mm -hmm. If you don't have a problem that's big enough for God to solve, God, you need God then God doesn't have to show up. And this is really where people fail. And some people say, well, I don't want to talk about sin because it's so depressing. I'm telling you, if there is no sin, 
that's God-sized, then God doesn't have to show up. And actually, it's really hard because I think people think about sin often in a moral category. Like, oh, you know, be better, but this is where you're wrong. Sin, theolo- sin is a theological category. It's about how we view God. It's about our, our, our unbelief of God, our distrust of God. And you have to get to that place. Or how we replace God with different things. And you have to get below the surface and saying, there's this point where you realize, <gasps> you are at the edge of the precipice. And you realize, oh my gosh, I can't solve this thing. And even if you try hard, there's actually no solution. If you can do that well, then you've set yourself up for God to show up. But if you don't do this well, and this is probably, I think probably the most important part, can you set up and show how desperate we really are? If you don't set this up, there's no sermon, right? If you, if you go too superficially, then you can turn around and say, you fix it. You try harder now. You be more committed. Mm-hmm. And once again, you end up with godless sermons, and then at the end, people are like, that was exhausting. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So, You've connected with your congregation, your audience. You've uh, presented a, a void, a chasm that we can't possibly solve, get out of on our own. We need God. People feel that. Then we come to what you call the twist. Describe that for us. Tolkien, J.R. Tolkien, has this phrase. He uh, writes this essay on fairy tales, and he says... You know, in every fairy tale, there's what you call catastrophe. He says, it's like catastrophe comes out of nowhere, but it's a good catastrophe, right? Mm. Like, you know, the beast dies. Oh, he's dead. <laughs> I mean, he just dropped. He's dead. He's gone, right? And then out of nowhere, he comes back to life. And actually, you see this in Disney movies a lot. I mean, there's no hope. The hope is that the rose finally, the petal drops, and you're like, this is gone, right? And then out of nowhere... God just comes and you say I thought we were doomed Mm. and then you see the beauty of God and actually that's how the gospel works grace isn't logical it's not as though God says oh God will bring good out of evil no he doesn't have to and logic is the fact that there's actually no hope it's a miracle every single time if you say if you ever say I was at a church and I was talking about grace and the gospel and this person was like oh of course and I was like of course if you put the word of course in front of God's grace and the gospel, you have totally misunderstood how this works. Mm-hmm. It's not God's job to be gracious. God doesn't have to forgive. God doesn't have to miraculously save anybody. But it literally comes out of nowhere. And it's the most beautiful, beautiful radiant uh, truth that you see, this act of God. And that's what you have to capture. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the twist. We don't realize the fact that like, it's almost like, oh my gosh, we're doomed. I mean, where's the hope? And then you realize, you see this overwhelming beauty of God, overwhelming act of God. That's the good news. Mm-hmm. And that's what we have, to, we have to kind of present to people. Yeah, yeah. It is Easter morning. It's the surprise or the, it, it's literally salvation, right? So you've already taken this on this journey. You know, you've hooked us in. You've described the the void, the sin, the chasm of our lives. God comes in grace and love to surprise us with his goodness, his salvation. And then there's a response. And so are you speaking about the congregation's response or, or 
is there a charge at the end that you see as necessary from the preacher? Where do you leave people? Yeah, a gospel message has kind of a indicative of what God does, who God is, mm -hmm. and then the imperative, like it follows that, right? It's based on that. Now, if you've established the fact that God is beautiful, amazing, if the twist is established, then you can actually give a proper response in response to that, right? So mm -hmm. I, I kind of describe it this way. I call it the horse and the buggy, right? The, the twist, the, the beautiful God is, is, in a sense, in this analogy, the horse. And then the buggy is what we do. Often, uh, the pastor says, imagine for yourself a horse. I'm going to spend the next 20 minutes or 30 minutes talking about the buggy you have to, you have to pull. That's, that's miserable. Mm -hmm. I, I tell you over and over again that happens, right? If you say, oh my gosh, this amazing stallion is going to pull this thing. By the way, there's a little buggy, right? Then, I mean, it's really easy to pull. I think that's how Christian life works. The amazing, beautiful you know, message of God and God's work, God's living work, that actually pulls our human response. And God invites us. I mean, God doesn't need us, but God chooses to work with us. So it's an invitation, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. God has done this thing. God's amazing. God's incredible. God's doing it now. It's an invitation. God's inviting you. Why are you living like an orphan? Mm. God has already made you mm. sons and daughters, right? Mm. Now it's an invitation. You can live in you know, swallow, but you don't have to, right? Mm. It's an invitation to live this life. And at that point, you're like, oh my gosh, of course. <laughs> like, it's amazing. Sure. I'm invited. I'm walking in. I'm going to enjoy this thing. Sure. So I love that. God invites us into relationship. God invites us to respond to Him. And so we're here at the end. What... How do we know when a sermon is, in a sense, landing well with people? How do, what's the fruit of a good sermon? Um, here, I would, I would be careful. Just because you get a response from people, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a good sermon. Uh, why? Because biblically speaking, you can have wild responses. You don't know if you're Moses bringing down the Ten Commandments, the two tablets from the mountains, or are you Aaron in front of the golden calf? They're both responses. So you can't just say there's a response, it's working. Even commitment, you don't know what's working. I think one of the ways you can know is if people want to sing. Mm. They, they want to sing. They say, I, there's something amazing about God. And they're going to respond with their lives. I mean, I would say if it's a singing, it's one thing. But I would say if it's just response without singing, I would worry. Because biblical obedience is always joyful obedience. It's actually a delight. Like, I want to obey. Like, man, get out of the way. I want to obey because I realize it's me enjoying more of that God. I want that God. That's the thing when you know a sermon succeeded. It's the good news, the living God. And when they encounter the living God, they say, oh, whatever this God's giving me, who this God is, that's amazing. Mm. If they want to sing, if the response is there, then you know you've given people the good news. Mm. Mm. Yeah, worship. And I know in our my context often it was people responding through the lord's supper communion all of that together i I've, i've found too that i think good preaching needs to be judged over a long period of time where it shapes a congregation a different way and that's one of the ways to see fruit thank you daniel this is um, awesome i hope it's encouraging for those of us certainly who listen to sermons but especially for us who prepare and deliver sermons uh, week, week to week. And so I'm thinking about those people, pastors, leaders, preachers, who are in the trenches week in and week out, for whom 
this becomes rote. We stop thinking about what we're doing, why we're doing it. Can you give an encouragement to those folks? I think my first word is God profoundly and deeply just loves and delights in you. That good God, that amazing God, in spite of all the criticism and all the chaos that's around you, that this profound delight that God has in us, that God, we get to proclaim that God every week for some people, right? How amazing is that? What an amazing joy and privilege. That's the blessing that we have. And I think to remember that is the word that I want to leave with. Just great joy and delight of proclaiming that God. We're creating a community here at Centering, so we invite you to join the conversation by sending us your comments and questions at centeringpodcast at gmail.com or visit our website at centered.today for a list of shows and other resources. This episode of Centering the Podcast on Asian American Christianity is produced by Jason Chu. Editing is by Carl Cathedral with music by Mark Redito. I'm your host, Kevin Doy. Above all else, we want to remind you that God embraces all of who you are.